Coming up on InfoSec Sync, a new startup is helping analysts keep up with online threats. It's a catch-22. Do you pay the hackers or not? What the Biden administration is saying about a proposed policy on paying ransoms, plus a campaign by lawmakers to get the average U.S. citizen cyber savvy. And you may now know that you're half German. But how safe is your personal information? We'll learn more from security officials at one of the world's top genomics companies. So get ready to get in sync with InfoSec Sync. You're watching the InfoSec Sync Weekly News with Nick Thomas and news anchor Layla Gulen, sponsored by Axelio. Threat detection and response done right. Axelio. Welcome to the InfoSec Sync Weekly News for the week ending June 2nd, 2021. I'm Layla Gulen with your host, Nick Thomas, and we are joined tonight with cybersecurity consultant, Mr. Kevin Cedeno. Kevin is a senior consultant at VicTech, supporting missile defense agency, and ISACA, Huntsville chapter president. It's great to see you, Kevin. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for Thank joining us, for Kevin. Yeah, so tell us, first and foremost, what does ISACA stand for? Uh, So ISACA uh, used to stand for uh, Information System Audit and Control Association. Um, You know, back 50 years ago when it was first started, um, it it was the basis for auditing on financial systems, Um, you know, when computers were brand new. um, And... You know, eventually it became a lot bigger than just auditing. So now it basically covers the entirety of IT. Uh, so now we just go by the acronym, no, by the you know by the actual uh, terms. It's very interesting. Well, we want to hear your input on some of these stories that we've got here for you tonight. Uh, we want to start with an update to a story we brought you earlier. It's a print nightmare, a flaw, once believed to be a low-level threat in Microsoft Windows print spooler service, is vulnerable to a remote, unauthenticated attacker. By sending an RPC request, a remote attacker could potentially execute arbitrary code with system privileges. According to securityweek.com, a print spooler is an executable file that's responsible for managing all print jobs getting sent to the computer printer or print server. While Microsoft has released an update for CVE 2021-1675, it is important to realize that this update does not address the public exploits. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency encourages administrators to disable the Windows print spooler service in domain controllers and systems that do not print NIC. Can this vulnerability affect home computers or is this threat only targeting larger corporations? Actually, Layla, this will affect home computers because the print spooler is part of the uh, Microsoft uh, Windows system. It's responsible for managing all the your print jobs that you send to your printer. Oh, that's very interesting. And Kevin, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean, these are, um, you know, kind of old standards now. And, uh, uh, you know, back then they, would, they didn't really think a lot about security. Um, so, yeah, it can definitely affect a wide range of devices that use that standard. And I'm more interested on uh, the teams that actually were able to find this vulnerability. There was at least three different teams, uh, two from China, and they were all racing trying to get it out there and um, be the first ones. Um, you know, which, you know, at some point it may 
they speak about uh, you know ethics and you know if you have and know about something that is out there in the wild do you stay quiet or do you let people know so do we know what the source of the print nightmare is so uh you mean the source as to the researchers that found it uh not necessarily the researchers who found it but the ones who created it ah i do not know that mm. they're everywhere though Right. It's just it's a global thing. Yeah, it could be that the researchers were looking for some things they can exploit. And this might have been the easiest thing. And they and they did it and um, told Microsoft about it. Oh, that's interesting. OK. InfoSec Sync is brought to you by Excelio. Excelio provides economic end to end cybersecurity threat detection and response solutions designed for your team, environment, and security objectives, providing packet level visibility across your network. Visit them on the web at Excelio.com. That's A X E L L I O.com. Well, while there are a lot of people skeptical of submitting a DNA sample in order to find out their ancestry, the folks at 23andMe say your genetic information is safe with them. Darkreading.com recently spoke with the company's chief security officer who says his team of cybersecurity staff and hired hackers are constantly working to ensure personally identifiable information cannot be traced to any one person. Well, uh, the genetic testing company takes cheek swabs to create a DNA map that looks for makers that, or markers rather, that could indicate if a person is predisposed to certain health issues such as diabetes, cancer, and other medical conditions. David Bart Baker told darkreading.com that genetic information is essentially useless on the black market. It's the personally identifiable information along with genetic information that if found in the wrong hands, criminals could potentially triangulate their way to comprehensive identity theft. Baker ensures that customers' information never leaves the building and they never use third parties. And Nick, if 23andMe uses all the usual defenses, couldn't this be applied to other businesses as well? Absolutely, Layla. I'm glad you asked that question. So this is an excellent use case to show at a very high level um, how security should be implemented in any organization by the steps that they're taking. Now, there's there's very minuscule things that they do underneath that, and it goes on and on. But at a high level, that's exactly what everyone should be doing. I especially like the part about um, not using uh, a third party. Of course, depending on your budget, you you might have to use a third party and you know source that properly. But it's great what they're doing. What do you think, Kevin? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely commendable for a company to uh, take strides. And I, see, I think that uh, uh, 23andMe have uh, tried to, to do so. Uh, I mean, they continue to get certifications and other um, assessments uh, done. Um, but I think that we also have to be a little bit careful about um, any company that really tells you, um, you know, how that information is done or how it's used. Um, and whether or not it's critical or important to anybody out there, um, I think that to a certain extent, you know, you can't really make that determination. Uh, for example, if, um, you know, just the generic code um, by itself, it may not be important. However, the health implications or, or any uh, health data that is attached to that, like, for example, if you have diabetes or, or any other ailment, uh, can be used. 
to potentially identify you and target you directly um, you know if, if, if they are able to identify that person so you know if he says that it's not important and you know in the uh, by itself uh, that's fine you know we can take it with a grain of salt um, now the other area that I think uh, is something you know that we should be a little concerned about is um, you know, 23andMe made a deal, uh, you know, recently about $300 million with a drug uh, company. And so, yeah, they may not be using third parties, but they could have, you know, uh, you know, other deals with other companies and sharing information as well. So it's not so much uh, how the data is going to be uh, leaving, but also who they have agreements with sharing and use, utilizing the oh, data as fascinating. well. Fascinating. So ultimately, it's up to the consumer whether or not you decide to, A, do the test at all or to waive any rights to your information. Yeah, that's right. And um, that's right. Kevin, that, that's really good because he did say by itself, nothing. But if you happen to put the two together, it's disaster. Yes, big disaster. Yeah. All right. Well, cybersecurity analysis is a 24-7 job, and it can be overwhelming to keep up with demand. But a new startup is helping to take the load off. It's called Gray Noise, an anti-threat intelligence company that is helping analysts distinguish between malicious and benign Internet traffic. Gray Noise operates an Internet-wide network of sensors similar to honeypots that monitors and correlates incoming traffic. SecurityWeek.com reports that over the last three months, gray noise sensors have analyzed almost 3 million IP addresses. Most were found to be benign or inter indeterminate. 10,000 were identified as malicious. The company is growing rapidly. They offer both a free and paid service with a conversion rate to paid users increasing by 100 new companies each month. How are threats typically monitored? Is it usually in-house or are there people out there looking for threats and then independently reporting them? So, Layla, depending on the size of the company and the funding that's provided uh, to or by the company, it can be one person monitoring a network gateway or an email server, you know, if it's a mom and pop shop. Or uh, it could be a team of people to where it's called the Security Operations Center where they're doing multiple things and looking at multiple pieces of data that are coming in and looking at threat intelligence from other sources and fusing that together to protect the company and protect the network. Mm. So do you think that this is just going to be the first of many companies to pop up that are going to so-called take the load off? Um, there's actually several out there uh, right now at this moment, but there's going to be more coming. Kevin, what do you think about that? No, I, I think this is great. Um, any service that is available for companies to be able to improve on any capability that they have or that they're lacking is, is definitely a good thing. Um, I think that they have, we have seen some examples of, of, of this in other areas like um, IoT, um, you know, just, uh, you know, scanning and, you know, different databases that you can go on and search for, but it's really up to you to go look for things, right? So if you get a service that can help you do sift through all of that data, um, you know, hopefully give you early warning that something may be coming, uh, I think that's 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 awesome. <laughs>
<laughs> well, we've got another update to a story we brought you earlier this week. If you bought or were looking to buy a Mercedes-Benz, your information may have been compromised. Sensitive information belonging to about a thousand customers was made accessible on a cloud storage platform, which is shining a light on the dangers of third-party cloud database providers. Cyber criminals can exploit such information for identity theft and blackmail. Experts tell scmagazine.com that while it's a preventable situation, it requires companies to monitor how their third parties manage their data with cloud services. And how many companies are regularly monitoring these third-party cloud services? I'm sorry, say that again, Layla. How many and how do companies actually monitor these third-party cloud services? So, um, you know, it's it's left up to each individual company as to who <clears throat> who they want to use or employ for for their third party, and basically that's called uh, supply. You know, it's called supply chain, and the big thing right now are supply chain attacks. Um, this goes back to the Home Depot uh, card hack, the uh, Target card hack. They didn't hack the store; they hacked one of the third parties, I believe. The Target was a uh, um, air conditioner, or the Home Depot was an air conditioning company that was somehow tied in to um, uh, the company's network is how they got into that. Um, it's it's due diligence for each company to do their own research and see how well uh, the third party uh, does what they do. Kevin? Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. They're, the issue, the biggest issue with the supply chain is, is visibility, right? So the further out that you are, um, you know, away from a supplier, um, the harder it becomes trying to make an assessment of whether or not they are s secure and whether or not you should be sharing information or they have, you know, or they should have access to, um, you know, to your uh, network. Um, the I think that the biggest issue that we see um, is is really like how far do you go? You know, you can. You know, in the industry, you see a lot of the times where, you know, a questionnaire is sent and you tell them, hey, go fill this up and you go fill it out and, you know, let us know how you, well you're doing. <laughs> and, and that is like the bare minimum. Um, and you can go as, as far in as having teams of auditors go in and do assessments and help them. Hopefully it is a good working relationship where, you know, you can help them get to a, a, a better level. Uh, of security. So, you know, you can definitely do, there's a wide range of things that you can do with your suppliers, yeah, so especially Kevin, if you have a good relationship auditors, with them. Uh, with ISACA certifications? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, in, and, and you know, you just got to have into consideration that you may need to have some agreements ahead of time, you know, try to figure out how, how you know, what is the requirements uh, when do you do it? Some companies do it after an incident happened, but after that and happens, might it might be too late. That point. So, and reputation. That's true. Right, which is invaluable. Uh, what about for the customers? Do they have does does Mercedes or any of these other companies that have been hacked into have any accountability to the customers' information that was obtained and therefore leaked? Or is the victim seen as the entity and not necessarily the people who submitted their information? It, it really depends on who you ask. Um, from a law enforcement perspective, and I have posed that question before to FBI 
um, agents and, and, you know, it, it really, it really happens to be more about who is the victim or the perceived victim when the act happens. So in this case, Mercedes is a victim. Or you can make that argument that, you know, they were victimized. Um, how, and, and then the data and the, you know, and what is leaked about their customer is really just collateral to that breach. So, however, if you go to Europe under GDPR rules, um, the, the customers have ownership of that data or, and they can make a claim that the company is liable for, for the protecting GDPR their rules data. Are, are great for the uh, consumer. It, clearly, that's fascinating. It's amazing right. how the two, the two nations and the two uh, between the European Union and the United States work so, so differently. Well, speaking of Europe, we're going to head over to the Emerald Isle. Ireland's health system has been hit with a one-two punch after suffering a ransomware attack more than six weeks ago that is a projected cost of more than $600 million dollars. This attack has trickled down to patient care, causing delays in the system. The cyber attack happened back in May and caused major IT disruptions, including canceled or rescheduled appointments. The attack has been attributed to Conti threat actors who demanded a $19 million ransom payment to decrypt the system. Health officials have refused to pay the attackers. So they, they talk a lot about downtime. How often are health systems the target of ransomware and then create, therefore, this downtime where systems are inaccessible. So funny that you asked that, Leilu, frequently. So uh, Tuesday of this week, I believe, University Medical Center of Southern Nevada fell victim to a ransomware attack that exposed uh, PII, what, what is uh, personally identifiable information uh, of customers. And guess who claimed responsibility? Revel claimed responsibility for that, and they demanded fifty million dollar, uh, fifty million dollar ransom. And I believe that case is still under investigation because it's so new. Um, back in October, I believe uh, of 2020, Universal Health Services, one of the largest U.S. Uh, healthcare systems, experienced a ransomware attack that affected all of its U.S. care sites and hospitals, and they had some downtime downtime as well. So it's very frequent. I, probably weekly uh, these guys are trying to get in and, of course, get some money. Yeah. Crazy. Well, cybercrime is one of the biggest threats to society and tops the list of U.S. money laundering concerns. This multi-billion dollar industry thrives on people and companies paying ransoms to relinquish control of their files and computer systems. So the policy of banning ransom payments has been rather controversial. The Biden administration was considering a comprehensive package of many policy ideas that would not necessarily require a ransom payment ban. Rather, it might include forcing companies to be more transparent about paying ransoms, utilizing law enforcement to take down the infrastructure supporting ransomware, and working with international partners for global regulation of cryptocurrencies, while ransom payments may encourage a growing market of for ransomware, banning them is not without significant potential risks that could jeopardize a business's future. So, Nick, it's like a catch-22. You don't pay, and you're further victimized. You do pay, and you continue to fuel the ransomware industry. 
You're exactly right, Layla, and I believe uh, Ann Newberger of uh, the NSA, and she's now the Deputy National uh, Security Advisor, um, I believe she was saying uh, don't pay, and a lot of uh, other officials are, are saying don't pay. Um, I believe it's up to the companies as, as uh, if they want to pay or not, uh, but you're right, it's a catch-22. What do you think, Kev? You know, and and we continue to get a little bit of contradictory information as well because, or, or at the very least, uh, mixed signals, right, from the government because they are also talking about giving a tax break or at least make it, yeah, make we those payments last week. <laughs> tax deductible. And, right, so, and, and, and that, uh, what that basically tells you is, well, you know, we want these businesses to be able to survive and if that's what they requires for them to be able to get back up and running they may have to make the hard decision to do something like that um do we punish them for for doing so and or you know in in the case of the tax uh, break you know that might be seen as a as a incentive to to pay right so um, i think that we probably need to get um some guidance uh, from or get at the very least, you know the, the you know the executive branch, uh, maybe with the with the uh, CISA um, or the you know organization to really lock down what is the standard. Well, what should we be doing? Confusing matters. Four states, including New York, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Texas, are considering legislation that either limits or completely bans ransom payments. However, most administration officials don't seem to embrace the idea of an outright ban fully, but supporters say these bills act to discourage at least some ransomware attacks by removing the attacker's financial incentives. Do you really think it's removing any incentive whatsoever? You know, let me let me put it this way. I think that uh, we need to use some. Sometimes it's it's good to use analogies, right? So, are we? What if the CEO gets kidnapped in a trip to Mexico or at the border or in you know someplace else? You know, and and are we going to ban these companies from saving their CEO? That's you know, if you if you put it in that context, it might be criminal for you to tell a company. You're right, Kevin. That, you, you know, know it's, it's going to be up to each company <laughs> at this point. That's such an interesting way of putting it. Well, how about this? Is cyber insurance worth the cost? A new report shows the rise in this industry has largely failed to promote better cyber cybersecurity practices. In fact, ransomware attacks have raised cyber reinsurance fees by forty. Percent cyber insurance is a product intended to protect businesses and individuals from internet internet-based risks. It's designed to cover losses such as data destruction, extortion, and theft by offering security audits, investigative expenses, and criminal reward funds. But as reported by SCMagazine.com, cyber insurers are being accused of financially propping up the cyber cyber criminal industry. So while some carriers celebrate their pre- and post-incident services, a recent report shows there's only scant evidence that such protection is actually happening. Additionally, a U.S. government accountability office found the industry lacked enough data to properly price their coverage. So 
it just kind of sounds like you are feeding the beast. So you pay for the insurance and then they pay the attackers and then it just keeps going and going and going. Maybe the insurance are in, in bed with the attackers, right? <laughs> so um, I think this this actually is, is the reason why Bitcoin's so popular right now because a lot of the uh, lawyers and insurance companies buy, buy into some of the Bitcoin because they have to pay out. Um, but as far as... Uh, as far as the cyber insurance goes, I I think it's a great thing. It's just you know it it's just like a car. It's like if you get in a in an accident, you've got the insurance there. If something happens that you could not prevent um, for your company, and you somehow get hacked or something cyber related happens, the insurance is there to cover it. Yeah. So. When it comes down to risk and, and insurance, is there to be able to transfer that risk from the company? Um, if you take that away, then that's one option less that an executive or a company has to be able to deal with a particular threat. Um, you know, the more options, I think, the better. If it exists and it exists within certain constraints, or um, you know, that's perfectly fine. Um, if those uh, insurance companies need to be able to make better determinations as to the type of risk that they're taking, um, how payouts are done, I mean, it might be something worth to look at. Um, but I think that completely saying that it should go away is, is probably not realistic. Um, I mean, we don't make that argument for car insurance. That's like, true. Well, information <laughs> belonging to at least 700 million LinkedIn users is up for sale online. That's nearly 93% of the company's members. Hackers have already posted a sample of the data, which includes full names, phone numbers, addresses, and professional histories. The price for this enormous collection of data? Just $5,000. The bad actor who claims to be behind the leak says they used the same method in a data infiltration back in April. Um, $5,000? That's all? Yeah. Yeah, What's I don't even know what you would do with <clears throat> with that information. I guess start new social media accounts with real names, uh, people's pictures. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I was going to ask, you know, well, I mean, all you have to do is request <laughs> access and people just accept it and LinkedIn. <laughs> so, uh, I, I think that there's, there's two different types of, of, of ways to look at uh, data and privacy. Um, and, and one is to um, say, you know, I'm going to just protect all of my information from ever getting out. Um, and, you know, so you, you know, keep it out of the cloud, keep it out of social media and whatnot, right? Um, but it really t just take one company to misplace that information for, to defeat that purpose. The other, you know, uh, line of thought is to basically say, you know what, all of my information is already out there. You know, it's in LinkedIn and in Facebook and Twitter and, and, and whatnot. And some people sort of embrace that as well. So if, if the people who have who are in LinkedIn and have placed data there, I, I, I think we already don't know. Don't mind me getting anecdotal here for a moment, but Nick, you brought up a really <laughs> interesting point about using that information on other social media platforms. Because if you're on Facebook and you receive a friend request, sometimes these people look like your next door neighbor or have maybe one mutual friend in common, but then when you look a little bit deeper, 
you see some of the information that's listed about their profile, and things just don't quite add up. And then you start looking at their other friends, and either they look like they're in another language or from a completely different continent, and then you start to question. Do I know this person? Yeah, absolutely. You could start、uh, spotting the fakes out there. You might see my twin on there, but actually,、uh, I've I've seen、uh, where some of my friends' accounts have gotten hacked on Facebook or、uh, going back to MySpace in the day.、Um, sometimes I see that on LinkedIn too.、Uh, people are trying to connect with me, and if if I don't really know the person, or if it says, "Hey, they're friends with with someone else." I'll ask that someone else and say, "Hey, do you know this person?" And sometimes they're like, "No, I have no idea who that is," or I just totally delete it. So, so the tempt of cultivating a huge number of friends isn't necessarily worth it. <laughs> no, not at all. No. Okay. Hey, this is Jeremy Leisher with Excelio. If you're wanting a realistic, no kidding, hands-on. Threat hunting education, where you can learn to not only hone your craft,、uh, but to really get into the weeds of what it means to、uh, to, to, to hunt threats.、Um, I highly recommend that you join me、uh, for a peek into the world of mature threat hunting, with a focus on how network data is the missing link.、Right? So come visit us at excelio.com. Sign up for the next free hunted class, July 28th through the 29th, at excelio.com/hunted. Well, Microsoft is investigating an incident in which an unnamed entity from within gaming environments in China submitted drivers for certification through its Windows Hardware Compatibility Program. Microsoft did not explicitly confirm that it had signed the malicious driver, but it has suspended that account of the party that had submitted the drivers. The incident is the latest example of what security experts say is a growing targeting of the software supply chain by cyber threat actors. Microsoft says the malware author's goal was to use the driver to spoof their geolocation so they could play games from anywhere. Sounds innocent enough, but I don't know. So it's good that、uh, Microsoft and companies like them and Apple have people that actually look and, and、uh, do research、uh, before they're put into either their app store or into their security library. And,、uh, gr- great on them for doing that, and you know that's that's why I trust some of these companies that ha- that have things like that in place. Kevin, what do you think? No, yeah, I mean, if if a company has a process,、um, you know, for people to submit, especially in the supply chain, to submit,、um, you know, for approval or you know to be part of the community and whatnot, that's, you know, if there's a way to game that system, and no pun intended, it will be gamed. <laughs> But at the same time, you know, I you know I, I agree with、uh, with you, Nick, that you know, as long as they have a good Um, you know, a, a good visibility to those requests, and they have a good process that will catch.、Uh, and that's part of controls. You know, if you have those controls in place, then it should be able to protect you. Moving on, it's not just for people like Nick and Kevin. A bipartisan group of House lawmakers has introduced legislation to increase Americans' cybersecurity literacy and security awareness. It's known as the American Cybersecurity Literacy Act. The bill requires the National Telecommunications and Information Administration 
to establish a security awareness style campaign to help citizens familiarize with security risks and common criminal tactics. The effort would also establish a curriculum to teach best practices for preventing cyber attacks. Nick, what is the average level of cyber knowledge in this country? That is a good question. First of all, let me say that I love this legislation that's that's being put through. Um, if you were to take away all the cybersecurity experts and everyone that knows about security, I would have to say it's pretty low. Um, this is why people get ransomware attacks. Um, they get phishing emails. They click on links that they're not supposed to be clicking on. And, you know, uh, the worst threat to a company is actual insider threat. It's the person working inside that really doesn't know anything about security and either letting someone in the building or talking to someone on the phone, uh, giving out information or simply clicking a link because it looks like Apple sending them uh, an email or their bank is sending them an email. Kevin, what do you think? I mean, I'm all for education. Um, the better education that we can get uh, and raise that bar across the board, I think that it will be a benefit to everybody. Uh, I think a lot of the problems that we're seeing right now online is uh, is just a lot of people have had a lot more experience now, or you know, uh, uh, you know, in in the internet without any type of literacy as far as you know how to spot things that are, are just not real, um, what not to click. You know, just the basics. And I think that, you know, anything that would improve that, you know, if, even if it comes from the government as a, as a legislature or as a, um, you know, some sort of a program, it would benefit everybody. Um, you know, I, you know, if otherwise it's up to, well, each one of us, you know, parents to teach our kids and potentially even teach our own parents, you know. That is true. Well, I like it. it. As a matter of fact, organizations are facing yet another unprecedented threat to their cybersecurity now that employees are headed back to the office. A new survey from Armis shows security teams will be tasked with more than locking down their organization's systems, but keeping users from getting duped into handing over private information. That leaves it up to organizations to protect themselves from a cybercrime onslaught. As reported by ThreatPost.com, there are more than seven cyber attacks per hour and rising. So to your points, uh, people clicking on the wrong things. I mean, what can companies do to mitigate these issues at the very basic level? So uh, actually, Layla, what some companies do is they have security awareness education. Um, uh, the government's good good for doing that because they have the the money and the resources to do that. But uh, smaller organizations, mom and pop shops, startup companies, I'm not so sure they have the uh, the funding or the the people to do that. Yeah, a lot of the times, small companies they might just not even have the time. You know, it, it comes to resources, and time is one of those resources. So, you know, they can be either surviving or teaching people about cybersecurity. So, you know, I think that one of the things that uh, any company can do is at the very basic level is teach their own employees to secure their own networks. You know, go home, you know, do these basic things, secure your own network, 
because a lot of times, especially now in a in an era where everybody's working from home, um, you know, your home network is the weakest link. Um, you know, that's one way to potentially be able to get in. So, you know, if, if they can do that, uh, I think that that's a good start. That's a great subject you just brought up, Kevin. If if uh, people were taught how to secure their their home network, that would be great because when you call to get internet service, you know, you want to get the whole package or whatever it is, you're given the basic uh, security implementation that uh, Verizon or AT&T gave you, but you want to enhance that. I mean, it might be great, but you want to make it better. You know, if someone's, uh, someone could do a drive by your house, Layla, and just get on your, on your uh, Wi-Fi, start doing nefarious acts, and next thing you know, the FBI is coming to get you because you did something and it wasn't you. Wow, that's frightening. That is truly frightening. Um, another thing that's pretty frightening here, a VPN service used by ransomware gangs was just taken down by police. That's the good news. The double encryption service was frequently used by threat actors to dodge detection while performing malicious activities. The Russian-based service worked by encrypting and transmitting to one VPN server before sending it to the second VPN server and then connecting to the final destination. Hackers usually use the service to confuse and manipulate their locations and originating IP addresses when performing cyber attacks. So does this, is this at all similar to just making yourself vulnerable to, to these cyber attackers? So um, the VPNs of virtual private network, it creates a tunnel between you and the service provider. And then if you double it or even triple it, it hides where you actually are. So this is how some of the ransomware, this is part of their, their toolbox, the hacker toolbox that they use to uh, do their attacks so you cannot pinpoint them. You might think they're in Texas and you you know, you know look at that traffic and then no, it's going to Brazil and then it just keeps going on and on. So that's just part of their toolbox, Layla. Oh, goodness. Okay, well, more arrests. A high-ranking member of hacking group Fin7 has been sentenced to seven years in prison. Andrei Kolpakov was also ordered to pay $2.5 million in restitution. Members of Fin7 engaged in a highly sophisticated malware campaign to attack hundreds of U.S. companies, including restaurant, gambling, and hospitality industries since 2015. According to court documents, victims incurred enormous costs that exceeded a billion dollars. How did they do it? That's a good question. Can, congrats to finding them and making them pay a, no a fine in restitution. That, that's great how, how that happened. Absolutely. I, I'm just wondering how the judge came up with that, that number amount? for the sentencing. I know. <laughs> where, where could he possibly would have come up with that number seven years it, it never matches the crime, it seems. Rarely does Well, it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that it, they probably did it as a toning chick for the group, you know, Fin7. <laughs> but <laughs> that, is, that is true. Seven years, that, that makes sense. Ah, that's a good point, Kevin. <laughs> well, how about this? Details of an Adobe zero-day bug were revealed this week. The bug, patched in May, allowed hackers to bypass authentication protection and execute code remotely on vulnerable Adobe Experience Manager, or AEM, installs. The bug affected customers ranging from MasterCard, LinkedIn, and PlayStation. 
AEM is an enterprise class tool for creating and managing websites, mobile apps, and online forums. According to researchers, if the vulnerability is left unpatched, attackers can easily access the CRX package manager to upload a malicious package. Along with Microsoft, Adobe is one of the top targets for cyber criminals because its software is so very prevalent. In addition to the popular Adobe Acrobat family, the company also provides the engine for numerous online-facing applications and websites. So no I agree. Um, there, right? Adobe is one of the biggest software packages that everyone probably has on their system. As you know, down to Adobe Reader. You know, if you have an unpatched version of Adobe Reader and someone sends you a uh, crafted uh, PDF, they'll own your computer in a <laughs> matter of seconds. So, as the consumer, how do you know that that could happen to you? You can't really. You can't. You you have to stay on top. You know, a lot of people are just, hey, I need a new computer. Let's go to the store. Oh, this is great. You got to make sure that you stay on top of at least an antivirus. I mean, that's big because that's what script, cre- uh, script kitties, you know, even script kitties, which are, you know, kids or people or uh, hackers that are or new to the industry try to bypass so at least keep your uh keep that software up and any other software that you can use to uh avoid this including uh vpns uh adware uh what else kevin what am i missing here Uh, i mean i think that um well when it comes down to any type of software that uh is widely available um, if you have that, like for example, Adobe is everywhere, like you mentioned, you know, you just need to assume that it's going to be a big target. Because if you um, are able to find a vulnerability or an exploit um, for that one software, then it gives you a very big base to potentially um, attack. So I think that, uh, you know, if you're using, unless you're using something very specific, you know, custom made, or, um, and then you, you know, have other challenges with that. Um, you know, you, you just need to be, at the very basic, besides just the um, malware protection, is updates. You just got to keep everything patched up as, as you know, up-to-date yeah, as possible. Yeah, let your computer do the Windows update. Uh, what is it, the Windows uh, firewall? Uh, uh, what's it? What's Java? Have... Java's a big one. <laughs> keep your Java right, up-to-date. Java. Yeah, and, and before, I think Java used to remain all the previous versions would also stay there as well, right, in the machine. So, you know, even if you updated to the new version, you still had all the other stuff, you know, there. Um, so, yeah, you just got to keep up to date as, as much as you can. And, and then you only have to worry about the zero days, which is things that are in the wild that probably nobody knows about yet. And, you know, it's not really being uh, exploited as widely as possible. Um, how about that, Layla? Are you scared yet? <laughs> I'm frightened. <laughs> well, I think this is a good segue into this next story. Cobalt Strike, the legitimate commercially available tool used by network penetration testers, is being used by cyber crooks in unprecedented numbers. Cobalt Strike sends out beacons to detect network vulnerabilities. When used as intended, it simulates an attack. But threat actors have figured out how to turn it against networks to exfiltrate data, deliver malware, and create fake command and control profiles that look 
legitimate and slip right past detection. So can you ever win? <laughs> the simple answer is no. People are bored, huh? <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I, I think... I think the it, it does speak to something that I, I don't know if you want to build upon it, uh, uh, you know, Nick. Is that you know security is not really a um, it, it's a process. You know, it never ends. Um, you know, t- today is a cobalt strike. You know, last year was uh, solar winds. You know, having issues, and that is also a software that is supposed to help you in your network. Um, so anything that can potentially be used against you is kind of like Murphy law. Um, you know, it could potentially be used against you. It will. So, you know, you just got to go through the process and, and you know, hopefully you yeah, know, you're right, it Kevin. Up. There is no silver uh, bullet uh, to uh, cybersecurity. It's process. It's layers. It's defense and death. It's everything. So that's why uh, we'll always have a job. <laughs> Employment security. Sounds pretty, security. sounds pretty good. Well, Apple has just become Google's largest customer of cloud data services. Apple is on track to spend about $300 million on Google Cloud Storage Services this year, a 50% increase year over year. And because the data gets encrypted by Apple, Google can't obtain the customer's iCloud information. One expert shared with scmagazine.com that the move is a role model approach to using infrastructure as a service, or IaaS. In fact, many companies don't follow that approach when using cloud storage or cloud computing power. So, Nick, what does this mean exactly? So, so Apple is now a customer of Google? Yeah, that's exactly what it means. And before they put their the customer's data in Google services or Google Cloud, it's encrypted. So even if it goes into Google and something happens, no one can do anything with it. And I love that they're using Google services because it shows Apple has that much that much trust in that company and their services, which should tell the consumer something as well. I was going to say, so if one enormous entity trust another enormous entity, then we should feel a lot better? I believe so. That's that's what I think. That's my thinking. Okay. Well And I think that, you know, if you know if it comes down to uh, the cloud, you know, it's just someone else's computer, right? So in this case it's Google's computer. Um, so I think that the Apple from a privacy perspective, this is a win. Like in definitely. Uh, for the consumers and also for their own stake on their own company. Um, if they're entrusting a, a competitor with uh, uh, data because they, they just cannot do anything with it, uh, then, yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a, that's a good way of Yes, you're uh, right. And, and Lila, you had asked earlier about how, how companies are, uh, are audited, third-party companies or supply chains. So apparently Apple went through something huge with Google to ensure things were in place for this to happen because right. there's no way Apple would have done this without entrusting uh, that what they have is what they needed and to do it securely in a manner that was secure says, uh, says a lot. Definitely. Well, finally tonight, a show of hands, who likes to go to the beach? How about a nice leisure walk on a pier? 
that costs you nearly three thousand dollars. That's what? what happened to a few British tourists who visited the Palace Pier in Brighton, England. Initially, their ticket payments didn't go through until two months later. But rather than getting charged the nearly one hundred dollars for the ticket, they were charged thousands more. It sounds like the issue stems from a Y2K unfriendly date format. While customers will be made whole, it's best to use cash to be on the safe side. What a bummer! Wow. <laughs> Can you imagine getting charged months later thousands of dollars for a ticket that should have cost you a fraction? I thought it was three dollars. No, that's three thousand dollars. <laughs> These are nice peers,、oh. I guess. Oh、you、goodness. just gotta add three more zeros and you know make it right. <laughs> so yeah, is, yeah, but the whole Y two K thing is still a thing. I, apparently, it must be. <laughs> it wasn't patched or something wasn't updated. Well, you know, if the system worked for such a long time and and probably got forgotten somewhere,、uh, and you're like, oh yeah, that that would just never stop running, right? So it, it's it, sometimes that happens. You know, it's something. You know, it just doesn't break.、Uh, it runs right under the radar, and and then you know it's still out there, right? But it does speak about well about some of the work that that Isaka does, or you know, and, and we we used to concentrate a lot on, which is controls.、Uh, you know, the the formatting of the date. If you had sufficient controls, you will be able to catch something like that.、Um, that processing payment should have caught. Um, you know that that error, and the fact that it didn't—that is a lack of effective controls. Wow! Always keep a little cash on hand. That's the lesson I take from this. Well, this has been so much fun, gentlemen. That's going to do it for us on behalf of Nick Thomas and Kevin Sedano. Signing off on Infosec Sync. Thanks for staying in sync with Infosec Sync. Infosec Sync Weekly News has been brought to you by Excelio. Register for their free hunted class, July 28th through the 29th, and get 16 CPEs. Sign up at excelio.com/hunted.